you can be your full expansive self in any space. Hello, welcome back to Speaking Queerly, a podcast hosted by Kaleidoscope Youth Center, a LGBTQIA plus youth center located in Columbus, Ohio. I'm Mallory Golsky. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the civic engagement and advocacy manager for Kaleidoscope Youth Center. And I'm Isaiah Harris. I use he and they pronouns, and I am the, the development and communication manager here. Well, we just want to thank everybody for subscribing, for giving us a listen. I know our previous episode maybe wasn't the most engaging because we were just introducing ourselves, um, but we promise we have a lot more exciting stuff coming your way. Um, I thought it was kind of funny as I was editing kind of the um, like you know promo video, the video that you can check out on our YouTube for folks who um, maybe would rather watch the podcast as opposed to listening to it. And as I was editing the subtitles, I realized that the auto generation um was calling our podcast speaking clearly instead of speaking clearly wow it's an entirely different conversation <laughs> it's right? a different conversation yeah i just want to say no we are gay and <laughs> there's nothing i love more than uh gay things and uh bad puns hey, so hey, speaking hey, hey. clearly works yeah <laughs> okay so thank you everybody for as we're getting into things um we are now officially into black history month Woo! even though our podcast has, has queer in the title our show is going to explore the, the many other identities that might, that might intersect with a person's queer experience and identity. And advocating for and working toward racial justice, equity, and visibility is one of our core tenets of the work we do here at Kaleidoscope Youth Center. Um, whether it's in our drop-in center, programming, other events, education, outreach, um, you know, like Isaiah said, we're an LGBT center, but you know, there's so many other identities that we want to make sure that we're honoring in the work that we do. And that's why we're, we're excited to introduce you to our first Speaking Queerly guest today, Lisa Ball, who uses she and her pronouns. So Although Lisa isn't really a guest here at KYC, she joined our team pretty recently as a cutie pot community care manager. In her role, Lisa implements programming that centers cis, transgender, expansive, non-binary, and any other femme or female person ages 12 to 24 who also identifies as Black, Indigenous, Latin, Asian, Arab, or Pacific Islander. While she hasn't been with KYC for long, she's streamed up working for our organization since high school when she was president of her school's GSA. Uh, Lee Sand graduated from the Ohio State University in 2018 with a BA in psychology. And prior to her role at KYC, Lee Sand was a professional nanny for six years. In her spare time, Lee Sand also loves to cook, read nonfiction, and spend time with her family and friends. Welcome, Lisanne. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you here. I'm really thrilled to be here. This is a really cool opportunity. Thanks for having me. I think you're all going to find that uh, Lisanne is the perfect first guest, and we're really excited to hear more about you and your role with KYC. But first, the optional add-on question. While we're checking in, we like to ask our guests an optional add-on question, much like we do in the center during drop-in hours. So since it's Black History Month, I want to know, who is one Black queer person who you wish you'd learned or known about in high school? Oh my gosh, I could give you a list a mile long, if we're being totally honest. <laughs> um, I initially was going to go with someone like Marsha P. Johnson. Mm -hmm. um, for those of you who don't know, Marsha P. Johnson is a trans activist who was said to be one of the um, instigators of the Stonewall riots. Um, but I was thinking a little more critically about it. And truthfully, I think I would say Audra Lorde. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, she describes herself as a Black 
feminist, lesbian, poet, mother, warrior, and firmly believed that understanding our differences was the key in growing stronger together. And I'm a huge believer in community over everything. Mm -hmm. So her messaging always resonated with me. And when I did finally learn about her, I was an adult and I could only think to myself, if I had just known about her sooner, I would have been so empowered in my writing, in my mm. prose, in my ability to communicate who I am as a person. So I would definitely have to give her her flowers there. I love that. Mm. Isaiah, who is one Black queer person who you wish you had known about? I think for me, um, I'd have to go with Bayard Rustin. It's really, Bayard Rustin is really one of the foundational folks when it comes to um, the organization and the and really the creation of the civil rights movement and the March on Washington, as we know it. Um, a lot of times he may not be as, as well-known as some other folks, um, because at the time he was considered a bit of a more controversial figure mm -hmm. just because of the intersections of Blackness and queerness. Mm -hmm. But I think really um, showing folks that you have the ability to show up in different ways uh, and you can be really, uh, really powerful and really... Like and you can instigate a lot of change is really important to know. Yeah, love that. Um, the person who I chose is Polly Murray, and I, I could have you know pulled a long list of, of notes, but I'll just share some here. Uh, Polly was a civil rights activist, advocate for gender and racial equality, a lawyer, a writer, and an Episcopal priest. Um, she was actually the first Black woman pe to be ordained as an Episcopal preach. priest. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, she fought against segregation on buses more than a decade before Rosa Parks famously refused to give up her seat. Um, she discussed the concept of intersectionality decades before the term was coined, which we'll talk about later. Um, she referred to racism against Black women as Jane Crow because of the intersecting forms of oppression. Um, she was the only woman in her class at Howard Law School, and she worked alongside and influenced the work of Supreme Court Justices Thurgood Marshall and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. RBG named her as a co-author in her landmark Reed versus Reed gender discrimination case, and her work also helped influence the Bostock LGBTQIA plus anti-discrimination Supreme Court case that um, came out a couple years ago. Um, she had several close partnerships with women throughout her life. Um, she wrote that one close companionship with a woman, she wished that she could have had a relationship with this woman um, in which she, Polly, was the man and then um, this companion was the woman. Um, but by saying that that to this individual um, ultimately ended their relationship. And so she kind of kept the fact that she was gay very under the radar, although she spent most of her life um, living with a woman named Renee. And Polly decided to go by her middle name, Polly, throughout her life. So there were a lot of themes of like, you know, you know, being genderqueer that also resonated throughout her life too. So she occasionally uh, passes a teenage boy during her days riding the rails during the Great Depression, um, which I found really interesting. And she also wrote about her experiences of what we now refer to as gender dysphoria. Um, so she used she, her pronouns, um, but some scholars ascribe they, them pronouns to her when talking about her retroactively. And they also retroactively refer to her as transgender, which, you know, brings up a whole host of discussions about whether or not you can ascribe that identity to someone. Um, after the fact. Uh, but there's a great documentary about her on Amazon Prime called My Name is Polly Murray and numerous books. So I recommend that everyone check that out and listen to it. That's so wonderful. Mm. 
so wonderful. And I'm sure Polly was heavily influenced by the Harlem Renaissance. That's when we saw a lot of black folks start to play with gender mm-hmm. expression. Right. Um, that was such a an influential time in black queer history. Um, so to have an icon, Polly Murray, from the Renaissance period come up today is really beautiful. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. You just have to look at pictures of her too, because like her outfits, just the whole way she carried and presented herself is just very like, as kids say, gender, right? Yes. <laughs> very, very cool. She's definitely an icon. But yeah, um, exactly what you're talking about, the the aspect of black history, we're going to be highlighting some um, other leaders and movers and shakers and just phenomenal people who everyone should know about on our social media. So I know Isaiah, you're going to be doing a great job of putting that all together. So we're looking forward to that. Absolutely. And really want to say also a big shout out to Lisa and um, really doing the work to kind of connect with folks and really thinking about like, who are some of the folks that, you know, our community would actually like to know about and would be really like would be really beneficial so yeah thank you thank you looking forward to that um well enough about about all of this you can stay tuned on our social media for more but the reason why we're here today is lisa and we want to learn more about you so you know isaiah read your bio at the top but we want to learn more about you know who you are what your role is with koic and you know what you're excited about in this position sure so if you had asked me this question about six months ago i would have told you Oh, I'm no one. Mm-hmm. Right. I And that's not a great way to look at yourself. And I am really excited to take this month of Black history and really celebrate Black joy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to attempt to describe myself with joy. I love that. I mm-hmm. think that's really important to start off today. Um. Why do you think it's so important to use joy mm-hmm. oh. describing yourself? Oh my gosh, because so many stories of Black folks throughout history are really moments of Black pain. We all know the story of slavery. We know how painful that is. We've seen racial discrimination both in the past and in the present. We're still facing a lot of bias as Black people here not just in Columbus, but in the United States. And so to take an opportunity to highlight something that's not pain Mm -hmm. is so important, especially in the capacity of working with youth. Mm -hmm. We want to inspire our youth. We want to encourage our youth. And the best way for us to do that is to demonstrate joy, happiness, success, in the different ways that that can take form. Um, Marion Wright Edelman, and I think I said her name correctly, um, said, you can't be what you can't see. Mm. So my role at KYC at the end of the day is just to be visible Mm -hmm. to our youth and show them what they can be Mm -hmm. if they just simply want to be. I love that. So tell us a little bit about the um, QTPOC group that is here at KYC and kind of your your role with that. Yes. So we do affinity group programming here at KYC. Um, we have a couple different affinity groups, but my affinity group is called QPOC. <laughs> we meet every other Thursday um, and we cover topics from Black history to the ballroom scene to white supremacy to just 
microaggressions that our youth are facing every day. We do some education, we do some discussion, we do some media consumption, which mm -hmm. is always really mm -hmm. fun. Um, and it gives the youth a space to uplift a part of their identity that they may not be able to comfortably display along with their queerness. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times there is uh, an, an expectation that you're going to either put your queerness in the backseat or put your racial identity in the backseat in order to appease the people in the room. And this gives our youth an opportunity to let those two things no longer be mutually exclusive, mm -hmm. but come together in partnership and create these beautiful identities that they have an opportunity to share with us. I love that. Well, on, on the topic of identity, that's actually something that I wanted to discuss with you both. Um, intersectionality is a term coined by Ohio-born civil rights advocate and expert in critical race theory and black feminist legal theory, Kimberly Crenshaw. It describes the way that people's different identities, as you described, like race, ethnicity, gender, sexuality, age, ability, socioeconomic status, etc., those impact the way that they're perceived and able to navigate through the world. Um, we often throw this term around, and I know that it's probably one of those terms that, you know, if you've heard it and aren't quite sure of what it is, you might be afraid to ask just because everyone's using it and you're like, oh, I don't want to seem like I don't know what I'm talking about, right? So I want to make sure we really talk about this term um, because it, it does have so many implications on people's like real lived existence. And it's also used in academic senses too, right? Um, so talk to me about, you know, both of you. I want to hear more about your intersecting identities and your relationship with these identities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I love Kimberly Crenshaw. And I also want to highlight the fact that intersectionality was a prism to bring light to dynamics within discrimination law that weren't being appreciated by the courts. So this started off as a very academic term, very high level. And we have seen different iterations of this term over the past couple of years, especially being used in political media. Mm -hmm. So I think it's wonderful that we are going to back to the roots of intersectionality in this conversation because we don't want to lose Kimberly Crenshaw's initial context when we're talking about intersectionality. Mm -hmm. um, so I personally am black. I am queer. I am a woman. And I am willing to say that I also struggle with mental illness. So I find myself at a point of four intersections. I have learned over time through Kimberly Crenshaw's work and other great feminist thinkers that these intersections don't have to mean that I am black or queer or a woman. I can be black and queer and a woman. I have learned to uplift different parts of my identity depending on what room I'm in and who I'm with. And something that I'm learning to appreciate now at my big age of big, <laughs> that you can be your full expansive self in any space, bringing that vulnerability with yourself into that space really 
highlights the beauty of these intersectional identities um, because they are intersections of oppression. Mm-hmm. They really are. You know, it. we face discrimination as black people. We face discrimination as queer people. We face discrimination as women identified folks. So uplifting any part of that identity can be really scary. Um, but I have grown to embrace it. I have really taken to my blackness lately. That's mm-hmm. something that I definitely put on the back burner for a long time. I was not comfortable with my racial identity. And now I have found so much comfort, so much love, so much joy and support in that facet of my identity. Um, so making sure that I am uplifting all of me rather than just a small part of me to show folks that you can have these intersecting identities of oppression, but they don't necessarily have to limit you. Now we could go into structural systems that are limiting. Sure. sure. But personally, I try to make sure that I am uplifting these intersections and showing folks Mm -hmm. that although I may be at at the corner of oppression and discrimination, I can still thrive. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Well, that's, that's really powerful. I really appreciate you um, really going with like communicating all of that. Kind of you talked about intersectionality. I think what comes to mind or what really resonates for me is that um, intersectionality for me um, really helps me remember who and how to show up for folks. So it's always about trying to think about um, who can, like, who is the most vulnerable, who's the most marginalized. And, like, there are always going to be perspectives and experiences that are different from mine or different from somebody's. And it's really giving space to honor that. Um, And I think that's really been helpful for me when it comes to understanding that I have experiences that somebody may not um, have, and I need to be willing to... um, like if I want somebody to I understand my perspective and I have to just kind of really understand the, if you will, the Rolodex of mm-hmm. identities and the Rolodex of different intersections that could show up for somebody. I know for me, um, I show up as black, I show up as queer, I show up as um, living with a, with a chronic illness. And I'm also acutely aware of how that shows up as somebody that is black and is in a body that is coded as male, regardless of how I identify or anything. Um, it's really helped me. I think for me, I've really, like, I, for me, there's not a distance between, um, me and a lot of, let me see, how do I take, how do I say this? Um, there's not a lot of distance between me and a lot of some of the most vulnerable populations out there. Mm -hmm. I think about how I'm fortunate to be where I am now. Um, and a lot of that is because of my access to healthcare mm-hmm. and in America that is in regardless of things can be in essence kind of tied back to um to my access to employment or access to funds to get healthcare. Um so for me it's always trying to be aware of the different experiences that folks might have and just trying to be able to see and show up for folks in different ways. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Thank you both for sharing that. I think it's, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Lisa, and it's so important for anybody to be able to hear others talk about their experiences to, you know, kind of, you know, make them feel less alone or to make them feel like validated in these things that they might be experiencing. But I think the way you both shared that is just so powerful. I, I appreciate that. You have great perspectives. Um, so in, in talking about like things, you know, sharing, history, sharing parts of our identities, telling these stories. Um, one, you know, current event I wanted to, you know, have a discussion about is, um, earlier this month, the college board, um, who you may know as the organization that handles things like AP courses and SATs, um, they released official curriculum for the new African American Studies Advanced Pla Advanced Placement or AP course. Which, first off, I just want to say how cool that is that there's going to be this course offered. I don't know about you guys, but um, in high school we had you know kind of the bare minimum of AP courses, and you know I took AP U.S. History, which we know is not really focused on African American Studies beyond like okay slavery happened, and I know we talked about Reconstruction, but that was like a brief segment, right? So to be able to have an entire course about this, you know, throughout the course of American history is pretty incredible. However, um, when the, uh, course was, you know, first debuted, it was piloted this year in many schools throughout the country. Um, but the official curriculum release that the college board announced earlier this month actually removed some teachings by black scholars, including Kimberly Crenshaw, who we talked about earlier, and Bell Hooks and A. Philip Randolph. Um, these had been included in the pilot program, but unsurprisingly, the teachings were around things like intersectionality, which we just discussed, um, black feminism, black queer studies. And it also removed all but a couple mentions of the global influence of things like Black Lives Matter and the movement for Black Lives. Um, of course, many people see this as a reaction to some complaints, political complaints, specifically those coming from the Florida Commissioner of Education, who, you know, said some harsh things, which, you know, I'm for the sake of everyone, I'm not going to repeat those because we can all imagine probably what they said. Um, but let's just talk about that for a little bit. Like as, as two people who identify as black, identify as queer, all these things that you just shared, what would it have meant to have taken this course in high school? Like, just talk to me a little bit about that. I definitely think I would have embraced my blackness sooner. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you mentioned AP US history and I don't know if you called it this, but we called it a push oh, when yeah. we were in high school. <laughs> and now as an adult, I look back and I'm like, oh, it was a push for white supremacy. Oh, that's, that's really what okay. we had going on. It's a good brand. <laughs> I'll, I'll call up the college board and see if they want to rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they'll be thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I think having an opportunity to educate yourself further on a topic that you wouldn't typically have access to is really beneficial, regardless of what that topic is. Then you're going to make it African-American history, something that we have kept out of curriculums for years. What a fabulous opportunity. That's truly phenomenal that somebody said, let's teach folks about African-American history because it is its own rich history. Um, there is a person by the name of Prentice Hemphill who is a firm believer in change and has this beautiful quote, the kind of change we are after is cellular as well as mm. institutional is personal and intimate is collective as well as cultural. We are making love synonymous with justice. Mm. I 
love this quote because it doesn't matter how much we're trying to change on that individual level until we're working to change on the collective level. We're not going to feel the love. We're not going to feel the impact. We're not going to see justice, right? We, again, it comes back to, um, my belief community over everything. You have to work together to grow and what a great place to start than the building where we are developing the next generation of thinkers, Mm -hmm. giving them more content to work with, more artists, new pros. Like that's Mm. so phenomenal. That's what school is all about. So Mm. why would we limit an opportunity for knowledge? That's something that I find really frustrating, Mm. um, especially when we've got folks who are so high up in the political scene who are trying to limit education. Mm -hmm. That's really what's happening here. They are trying to limit an opportunity to gain knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's not okay. (laughs) Well, and something else I wanted to add to that is just, you know, when talking about accessibility, right? um, AP courses aren't mandatory courses. There's a lot of privilege involved in just, you know, having a teacher who can teach this, making sure it's not something that's cut from the curriculum when, you know, Times are tight in the school district, which we know that's the case for many right now across the country. And if it was something that was integrated into the curriculum as like as required as algebra, right? That that would open this up to so many more people, not just as like, oh, I'm interested in taking this class and my school happens to offer it, you know? So, you know, as much as we want to uplift the fact that like, it's great that this is happening. I think just, you know, to your point, the, the access to that knowledge is something that just regardless of what's in the curriculum might not be there for everybody too. Yeah. And I, I, I've heard the argument of, well, we don't teach white history. Okay. Let's let's be real. <laughs> let's revisit a push. Right. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and it's so important to teach everybody about all the different parts of history, right? Like we have so many black and brown folks who have accomplished incredible things in history mm-hmm. and have lent themselves to creating this life that we have now, this future that we have now. You know, our our history informs our future, knowing your past influences the present. So making sure that everybody has equal access to historical facts Mm -hmm. is key in making sure that moving forward, we are making a more just society, that we aren't repeating the past. Mm -hmm. We aren't making those same mistakes. That access to education is the key and us limiting that, you know, government trying to regulate what they believe is the appropriate knowledge just feels silly. Mm -hmm. We should be encouraging exploration. We should be encouraging discovery. We should be encouraging the collection of knowledge. And part of that collection of knowledge is looking at the history of a, what are we like a quarter yeah. a third of the population at this point hey, mm-hmm. hey that sounds about correct yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that's i mean that's amazing i feel like even when it comes to learning history it gives folks the tools kind of literally i feel like you, first off i feel like you've said everything so i'm just kind of like tossing a few little things here and there but um i feel like it's about giving folks the tools to be able to 
to be able to build their life and to to see themselves and to feel informed and to be able to navigate the world and to not feel alone. Um, I, it, for me, it's as I'm growing older and as I'm moving and going in different spaces and trying to be more intentional about even just owning my own queer journey as an adult, um, I think for a lot, like, I, I just think about how much dismantling I'm doing of my own thoughts of my own um, understanding around blackness around queerness around x identity enter here so i feel like having more and more exposure being able to being able to read being able to learn being able to be exposed to folks being able to be in conversation with folks it's so important and like you said like those what's that quote the folks that don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it um so it's just all about learning to see yourself and being able to say oh no i've might feel alone but i'm not alone like mm -hmm. i was never alone like this is just part of something that's been going on for generations and years and years before i was even here yeah um on that topic it, real quick before we move into the next thing who is somebody who you did learn about in high school who you felt seen and represented for the first time in your classroom can you think of a time so i was very fortunate in that I attended a pretty liberal private school mm. um, up through seventh grade. Okay. So I was actually part of a project back in third or fourth grade, and I learned about Madam C.J. Walker. Mm. Have you heard of yeah. Madam C.J. Walker? Mm -hmm. I'm so thrilled that you know who that is. I, I don't remember when I learned about her, but it definitely was not in school. It probably was in a book that I read just on my own oh my gosh Something. yes so for those of you who don't know madam cj walker was the first black millionaire in the united states mm -hmm. uh she owned walker manufacturing company which was a black hair care company mm -hmm. and she found a need for black specific hair care products when she started losing her hair and nothing on the market was working for her yeah she had that entrepreneurial spirit right? She, she had no money in her pocket. She moved across the country and she started a business. Mm. I was so inspired by her at 10. I think I was 10 when this happened. Um, because it was the first time I felt like I was exposed to black history and it wasn't a story of pain. Yeah, It was a mm. point of pride. I loved talking about Madam C.J. Walker. I loved going around and showing people, oh, my hair, it looks like this because I use products that this woman mm. came up with. That's incredible. I yeah. felt so proud knowing her. And at such a young age, it was so impactful for me because I saw early on, look, I can be a successful Black woman. This woman did it hundreds of years ago. Mm -hmm. So I, I wish that folks could be exposed sooner. And I, I'm really fortunate that I was exposed so early on. Um, but I, I only wish that everybody had that experience right. and could, and could see it so early. It, it really just, it changes who you are as a person. Yeah. Mm. I love that. Um, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I was struggling to come up with something, but you actually triggered a thought and made me remember that when I was super duper young i was in um a like a this private private black christian school in, in, in the city um one of the one of my core memories of that is us doing this scene 
from Roots as like a school play. Oh, wow. She <laughs> was in the third grade. So um, like, I don't remember very much of anything. Just this random scene. Like I remember holding up the child. Like it was a lot. Um, but um, I think for me, it was even just having random things like that or like memories that um, or experiences that I didn't really think too much about, but still I'm realizing are kind of foundational to my growth or we're just kind of always in the background um, is still something that I really value. And I think even when I moved to um, public school in the fourth grade, even having like a lot of my family and kind of Columbus has a lot of opportunities to be around um, um, Black folks and be in a different and be in community like that. I never really thought about um, how used to that I was really. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. it's so fascinating. That's so cool that you went to a Black Christian Yeah. School. I know. I mean, I'm sure it comes with, uh, it comes with its downfalls and its shortcomings as any, any educational institution does. Uh, but I have always attended uh, PWIs or predominantly white institutions. Mm -hmm. So to hear that you were surrounded by folks that looked like you at a young age, what what kind of impact did that have on you in the long run? I'm so curious. <laughs> One thing I always say now, um, I remember when I I moved to, um, well, shout out to Gehenna, Gehenna schools, Gehenna schools in um in the fourth grade, and I remember at the time, uh, the Black Street was a really popular band. So I remember talking about Black Street with them, and they had never heard of Black Street, but they had heard of the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. I had never heard of the Backstreet Boys. Wow! So we were having a lot of back and forth between Black Street and the Backstreet Boys. Um, now, cut to twenty years later, I'm a fan of both of them. But <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's moments like that are like. I never really like thought about, you know. Yeah. So yeah. That's really funny. And of course you're aging yourself by saying that Backstreet Boys were the oh, topic yeah. of conversation at the time, right? But still, you know, both still a jam today. So I think, you know, kind of to this point, like talking about growing up in a time when you could see yourself reflected, um, you know, with your within your peers or maybe not, you know what I mean? Amongst people you are surrounded by on a day to day basis. Um, one of the things that came up in conversation between the three of us as we were planning for this episode that I wanted to revisit here um, was an instance recently where someone said to you that they assumed that you weren't straight, <laughs> which, you know, that we can talk all about, like, what it means to look gay, what it means to look queer, what it means to look trans, you know, whatever. There's all these different like presumptions about what it looks like to show up in in an identity. Um, but, you know, you likely had to come out as queer at one point in your life, um, but you likely never had to come out as black. Um, so it's just a different way of like, experiencing your identity, I imagine. Like, let's talk a little bit about that. And I also think like, let's talk about how that black identity might affect somebody's ability to see you as queer as well. You know, even if they know that you're queer, you know, like we talked about earlier with the intersectional identities, like d how, let's talk about that experience. You took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> Well, no, please expand on that. <laughs> so these visible versus these invisible points of identity and intersection, right? They both matter. Mm -hmm. I was in conversation uh, with a friend of mine, uh, shout out to you, Jay, who asked me which order I 
identify with mm-hmm. when it comes to the intersections of my identity. Because when I walk into a room, the first thing people notice is that I am black. The second thing they notice is that I am a woman. Mm-hmm. And the last thing they're going to know about me is my queerness. Mm-hmm. But personally, first thing I know about myself is that I am queer. The second thing I know about myself is that I am black. The third thing I know about myself is that I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. So it's comical to me when people assume my sexuality based on my presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's 2023, y'all. I thought we were done making assumptions about people. Right, right. <laughs> One would hope. You would think. Um, but I have been able to hide certain parts of my identity to get by. And there are other parts of my identity that I cannot hide. I cannot hide my blackness. It is not an option. You do not get to take your blackness off at the end of the day. You don't get to put on a hat when it's convenient for you. This is a body that you exist in and the history that you exist in. And and it's an inherently political existence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I love I'm going to plug another uh, black person in history, but I love Angela Davis Mm -hmm. uh, because Angela Davis has done a lot of organizing, has done a lot of work. If if you're at all interested in uh, prison abolition, I highly recommend reading uh, Angela Davis's work. Uh, Very forward thinker when it comes to prison abolition. Um, But Angela Davis is also queer. Mm -hmm. However, she did not come out until... 40 years into her public life um, because she believed that the personal doesn't always have to be political. Mm-hmm. She wanted to divorce those two parts of her identity. Um, and I, I don't know if that's the right answer. I don't know if that's the right thing to do personally for me. I, I love that my existence is political. I love showing up in spaces and being the black queer woman in the room and, and all of the implications that come along with that. Um, but that might not be the case for everyone. And sometimes you are in spaces where you can't have all of your identity show up. It might not be safe. Mm-hmm. And learning how to navigate those spaces, um, I think is really, it's so, it's so difficult. It's so nuanced. It takes time. It takes practice. Um, and you learn over time and no longer feel compelled to hide parts of your identity Mm -hmm. as you become more deeply tied to them. Um, I, I definitely think that I, I love showing up with my blackness and I love showing up with my queerness and I, I'm happy to talk about both of them and be loud and proud in a room uh, because I spent so long trying to hide the parts of my identity that I didn't think were going to be palatable for mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessary. That's something that I hope for folks who are just now coming up, coming, coming out, right. Just starting to understand who they are and and what the history of their skin may be. Mm -hmm. Um, they should know that you, you don't need to shrink for anyone. You should always feel comfortable being yourself. Um, I have a really great friend who is constantly reminding me, you are not too big for anyone they just are thinking too small for you yeah 
I love that. I think that's something that definitely will impact a lot of young folks folks hearing that thank you mm, yes absolutely you are not too we're not too big they're sticking too small wow i think for me when i come to like the assumption of straightness it's a it's something that i'm acutely aware of but i'm not necessarily as aware of when it's happening in the moment like i think um so yesterday um I was we I was at a screening for Stillwaters Never Crash. Mm -hmm. I'm a documentary. Um I really highly recommend folks check it out. Um, um to keep things short, um during the QA portion, um the the main subject of the documentary said I wasn't so focused on dating because I was just trying to like focus on survival. Mm -hmm. Um and I found that like I'm not sure if, like, if this person in front of me may see, may be thinking that I was straight, or they may have thought that I was straight because I was focused on, you know, like, life, or or they may not have saw me talking about my partner, or may not have um, seen me talking about somebody that I thought was cute. Um, but I feel, I think, like, I'm always, I'm very open, I'm very transparent. Um, I'm very comfortable. I feel like it's just the question of, um, it's called, what's the phrase, uh, the glass closet. It's like, I'm not in a closet. Like it's the question is like, do you feel comfortable asking questions? Do you feel comfortable kind of understanding that like straightness is not the default, that everybody is not straight unless told otherwise. Everybody is not cis until told otherwise. Everybody is not american and told told otherwise like there's a billion actually how many folks are there eight billion folks on the planet mm -hmm. so there are eight billion different ways to show up mm -hmm. um so for me it's like i i've come to learn i don't assume anybody's straight i don't i don't i don't assume i've learned not to assume that folks are monogamous i don't know if we can say that on this podcast but um i've just learned to i've just learned to um just learn to there's a lot of ways to show up and just yeah. to be open yeah. what does that even mean to look queer right, right. Like, yeah we, <laughs> we can spend a lot of time unpacking that one for sure for sure yeah well thank you both for sharing that yeah i'm glad you were able to plug that documentary too i think that's definitely something folks should check out if oh, they yes. have it already dr sherika miller's story is so impactful mm -hmm. her journey from foster care to phd still waters never crash check it out highly recommend <laughs> excellent plug we're not sponsored by the way no <laughs> um so Talk to me a little bit about, and we, we discussed this earlier when we were talking about uh, Isaiah's um, experience growing up um, in, in elementary school, but what are ways that you found community as a queer person of color? And what advice do you have for young people who are just starting to explore their identities and trying to find community within their communities? Yeah, that's a big question. That's a big question. Um, I have found community as a queer person of color in predominantly white spaces. Mm. And I, I know that seems odd because you would think, well, don't you want to be with people who look like you? Yes. And I love having an opportunity 
to help people become more open-minded, more progressive, more inclusive, and make the world a better place. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you mentioned bell hooks earlier. Mm-hmm. Love bell hooks. Again, another literary genius, beautiful prose. If you have any time to read bell hooks work, I highly recommend that. Um, but bell hooks said for me, forgiveness and compassion are always linked. How do we hold people accountable for wrongdoing and yet at the same time remain in touch with their humanity enough to believe in their capacity to be transformed? Mm. All right. Big quote, real high level. Let's break it down Mm -hmm. real fast. Forgiveness and compassion are two things that I think you have to have a lot of when you're moving through this world as a black person and when you're moving through this world as a queer person. Other people are going to make mistakes. You have to find the grace to forgive them. Now, it's not your responsibility to educate other people. I personally find joy in educating other people. And so I have been able to build a very strong community of women, of queer folks, of people of color around me, because I have just been open to meeting people where they are Mm -hmm. and taking opportunities to grow with them. Mm -hmm. I think that is the most beautiful part of being in community with people, supporting each other and watching them grow and growing together. I think as a person of color, I have always accepted that I might be othered Mm -hmm. in spaces. And once I found the confidence to just still be myself, even though I might be the other person in the room, that confidence is key. It cannot be hidden and people are drawn to that energy. Mm -hmm. And I have been able to build such a strong community around me simply by showing up as myself Mm -hmm. and being honest with the people in the room. And there are people who are going to come to you. They're going to come to you in that honesty. There is someone for everyone. You will find community. Continue to love yourself. Mm. Continue to foster your own learning. Continue to engage with folks where you feel comfortable with it, where you feel confident in it. And you will be amazed at who will come out of the woodwork to support you, to love you, to be there with you through the good, the bad, and the downright ugly. That community experience is something that you will never be able to replace. And once you find it, oh my goodness, hold on to it because it will do nothing but nurture you and foster you and make you a better person. I love that. Mm-hmm. How about you, Isaiah? No, um, <laughs> How do you follow that one no, up? <laughs> question was, wow, I, you, that was amazing. <laughs> Yes. retweet no talk to us about how you found community as a queer person of color i think for me community has it's been about i think ironically where i've been along my journey is been kind of kind of processing self um and kind of what that means and kind of what that would look like um, cause I found that in order to be in community and to be able to love, to be able to show up and also to be able to show up for myself, I've had to like learn how to not necessarily lose myself and be destroyed and how to um, be able to like say, what can my role be in community and to like think it's also really been a journey to understand that. Like I'm able to say, this is 
not my role or I do not have the skills for this or this is where I can show up the best and where I can show up for folks and be able to be healthy and be able to say, okay, I also have needs with that. Um, I think it's been a, the thing for me, it's also been about learning that like being queer, like there's a billion different ways to be queer. So if you want, so like, if you like house music and if you want to be in the ballroom scene, you can, if you have two left feet and you like rugby, Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot of sport. There's a whole lot of sports that folks get into. If like me, the sports balls are just, it just isn't working out. Um, and you like to like, and you're a really bookish person. There are queer folks that love books and like, there's a whole lot of ways to show up. So it's not necessarily about being who you feel like you're told you're supposed to be, or even performing the role. Um, it's about like fully realizing that queer people are, I, I, I'm, queer people are magic um realizing how complex and how much of a history queer queer and trans folks have and all the backstories and all of the you did this and then you went over here and did this and now you're doing this and you're doing this and this and this it's about like giving yourself the permission to be yourself fully and to like be able to be loved fully so yeah wow i think that is just simply such a great way to to wrap up this conversation. But before we do, um, Lisanne, what are ways that young people can get involved with QPOC? Oh my gosh, I've got a couple. So QPOC meets every other Thursday here at Kaleidoscope Youth Center down in our drop-in space. If you are interested in joining us, definitely check out our Instagram. We post our schedule so you'll be able to see when to join us. Um, We also have a Discord. So if you are outside of Columbus, but you are still interested in being connected with other queer folks, especially queer folks of color, um, we are on Discord. I believe it's uh, at KYC Ohio. Don't quote me. We'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> um, and if you are out there and you hear this and you're looking for a sign, you are questioning, you are confused, you are just beginning your journey and you need some support, email me. I am Lisanne, L-I-S-A-N-N-E at KYCOhio.org. I would love to talk to you. I would love to support you. And I would love to help you find community. Thank you so much, Lisa Ann. That's I, I definitely think that uh, that it's such a great resource for young people to have. And thank you for making yourself available for that. Um, and thank you so much for being our first guest here on Speaking Queerly. Um, we're actually going to have, if you liked hearing Lisa Ann, uh, you're in luck. We're actually going to have her back on next week with um, another special guest for our next episode. So stay tuned for that. Um, but in the meantime, thank you for listening. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics, um, please email those to me at um, Mallory, M-A-L-L-O-R-Y at KYCOhio.org. And be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend so they can be part of the conversation too. And as Lisa Ann mentioned, you can also follow us on all social media platforms and Discord at KYCOhio. Um, So we, we look forward to being in community with you there too. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks everybody.